I opened my remarks this morning with some sad news, and that is that longtime parishioner and beloved friend to many, Peggy Redfield, passed away this past Friday evening. It was not unexpected. She had summoned me earlier in the week on Tuesday to bring her communion, and it was very clear she was getting ready. But I will never forget the conversation we had, and that was a conversation about gratitude for a life lived. And as we spoke and prayed and shared the sacrament, I saw the last remnants of anxiety lift from her, and she entered a place of peace as she prepared to be welcomed with the saints in light. Peggy understood many things about this congregation. Never a sour, lip, sour word came from her lips, but she saw all, and she was a woman of small but significant deeds that added up over many years and brought life to many of us. Another soul of this parish of blessed memory, Fred Cohn, once wrote me shortly after I got here, and he wrote in the card, thank you for coming and joining our small parish. We hope you like it here in our small parish. And like you, I had a chuckle because I know small parishes. This is not a small parish. Small parish is like Christ Church Seikokai, where I served before I came here, where it was a good Sunday when we had 20 sitting in the congregation. Or St. Philip's Trenton, Missouri, where I was raised up for ordained ministry, where it was a good Sunday when we had a dozen people in church on a Sunday morning. Our church, it seems, is a church of small things, but by way of confession, I must say that sometimes I wonder if we are doing anything of significance at all. Sometimes when we look at what we do through the eyes of the world, everything seems so tiny, like our little font at the back, so beautiful. And we utter words like forever and everlasting life when we baptize someone out of that font. Or the morsels of bread that I place in palm after palm after palm each Sunday, or the sips of wine that we partake and call it the cup of salvation. Small things. And do they matter? That question comes out of my sense of entitlement. It's a sense of entitlement that I think if we were honest with ourselves, we all share to some degree. It is the entitlement that the world gifts us with when it talks in the language of power. All we have to do is look at the headlines this weekend that put the S on October surprise, right? It's all about power and political influence and money and all the things that the world regards as important and critical above all else. 
and all of us inside and outside the church, no matter where our vocation calls us, get caught up in that entitlement day in and day out. And it can make what we do here seem trivial. In that sense, we are very much like Naaman in today's reading from 2 Kings. Naaman is a tribal warrior. He speaks, he breathes, he acts out of the world's understanding of power. And his whole world, his whole worldview, is rooted in power. Naaman, however, harbors a secret that was probably only known to him and a few of his closest confidants, and that is that he has a dreaded skin disease, what the ancient biblical authors generically called leprosy, but it was considered a scourge of the ancient world because it meant somehow that Naaman was not quite whole, was not quite fully human, was not clean. Doubtless, he covered that in his armor and shielded himself from prying eyes and ears and surrounded himself with great power and conquest and wealth and an entourage and all of the things that accompany power in this world And doubtless he had spent much of that wealth trying to find someone who would heal him of this dreaded disease. And he had not succeeded. And so it is one of the servant girls, booty, if you will, of one of his conquests, a servant girl from Israel who points him in the direction of Elisha, in that little country to the south, bordered by a little trickle called the Jordan, commanded by a god that few people know or have heard of. Naaman does what Naaman does. He goes with an entourage in great power and prestige and pomp and circumstance, He's shocked to discover that Elisha won't even open his door to him. You can imagine how Naaman is offended. Because even the king of Israel is quaking in his sandals over the approach of this great warrior from the north. And Elisha won't even come out and say hi. you start to hear where Naaman's entitlement is kicking into high gear. But as we all know, our sense of entitlement often blinds us to what is really going on. And the only people who can see what is really going on are the nobodies, the servants, the powerless. If it's not insulting enough that Elisha doesn't come out to greet him, it's even more insulting that he asks him to do something trivial, insignificant, easy. Go bathe yourself in the Jordan seven times. 
Naaman says, wait a minute here. That trickle over there? I came all the way down from Damascus, where we have great rivers, and you want me to bathe in that muddy little puddle over there. That's not a task worthy of a warrior. Naaman is a great man. Aren't great men supposed to do great and challenging things? Isn't Naaman supposed to do something amazing in order to bring on a miracle? Is not the God of Israel impressed by the might of a great warrior from the north? Don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like, what is significant about my life? Why am I not doing greater things than this? But it is one of the servants, or the servants who come to Naaman and say, Father, had the prophet asked you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? And that question cuts right through Naaman's sense of entitlement. Entitlement is a subject that is also present in our gospel reading this day. Nine of the ten lepers that approach Jesus, Luke seems to imply, are Israelites. They know the tradition. They have the temerity to call Jesus master, so they know of his reputation. And they know what is expected of them in the tradition in order to be confirmed that they are healed. They must go to the priests and be declared clean. There is a sense in which this is business as usual for them. That sense of entitlement because they are part of the tribe. Again, it is the nobody, the outsider, the foreigner, the pariah in this story, the Samaritan who sees what is truly happening. And he's the one who comes back. And he offers thanks. Again, Jesus in other parts of the gospel rails against a sense of entitlement, particularly among the religious authorities, not because he is upset with them, or offended because they don't like him, but because that sense of entitlement blocks them from seeing the work of God in their midst. Because what the Samaritan realizes and what Naaman learns is that the true God does not work always through the great powers of the world. In fact, very seldom does. Our God, believe it or not, is not working in the October surprises as much as here in the small things on the ground in a community like this gathered in prayer. 
and in small acts of kindness and mercy that our beloved sister Peggy showed us day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. My first spiritual director when I came out to the Bay Area said to me as I got prepared for parish ministry, he said, Richard, he said, on those down days, he said, go back and look at all the baptisms you've officiated at. And by extension, I realized much later, he could have gone on and said, think about all of the times you have given communion. Think about on a day like today, when our congregation is a little bit smaller than we would like it to be, how many times all of you have come back again and again to this place. He was right. He was right. When I start to think in those terms and look back, I see incredible work. The incredible work of God on human lives and human hearts changes and the transformation that comes through small things. And I remember the most important thing of all, which is what our entitlement often blinds us to. And that most important thing is what happens with Naaman at the end of today's story. First of all, yes, he realizes that there is no God other than the God of Israel. This little country to the south that he never regarded with any significance at all houses the only God in the world that can offer true healing. But more than that, Naaman, even though Elisha still doesn't seem to open his door, stops outside the prophet's house and offers thanks. Like the Samaritan. The kingdom of God is built on a foundation of thanks, gratitude, often gratitude for small things, small acts of kindness, like those cards that Peggy would send, small acts of grace, like a smile. small acts of compassion that touch and heal us in ways that no power on earth can. Because our God is not just God of the universe and God above all powers, but is God of the small things. When we learn to offer our hearts in gratitude, we see the work of God revealed, unfolding in our midst. And our lives can never be the same. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people 
through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.